Once again, good morning and welcome to St. Paul's. It's great to have you joining this morning. Let's pray. Lord, you are the most high God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand what your spirit has to say to us this morning. Amen. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Now What? Exploring what life will look like for us as we slowly emerge from the pandemic and using the book of Nehemiah as our guide. And this morning, we have before us a beautiful picture of who God is and how the truth of that gives us a freedom that we could never find on our own. Just a reminder of the context we find ourselves in, since we took a break over the last couple weeks to celebrate Pentecost and Trinity Sunday. The book of Nehemiah tells the story of the Israelites returning from exile in Persia and attempting to return to life as normal. They rebuilt the walls around the city, rebuilt the temple, and now they're doing their best to remember the way of life that God had set out for them so long ago. Nehemiah chapter 8, which we heard Bishop Jenny preach on a few weeks ago, tells us that the Israelites heard the word of God spoken to them in a great celebration. But as they heard this word of God, Nehemiah 8 also tells us that the people started weeping. And while, as Bishop Jenny mentioned, emotions were running high, and there may have been many reasons for the tears that day, I think one of them may have been that they heard the truth of who they were called to be in the reading of the scripture that day, and they knew that they hadn't lived up to it. The Israelites had been reminded of who God was and who they were, and they recognized their deep need for repentance. So here we are, a few days later in the story, and the Israelites have gathered together once again. But this time, they've gathered not for celebration, but for a time of corporate confession. We sometimes shy away from this word confession. It's one of those words that can feel very heavy, very churchy, a word that can feel like it adds burdens rather than takes them away. But confession at its heart is simply telling the truth. A husband might confess his love for his wife. A coworker might confess her deep appreciation for a particular style of art or literature. And when we gather on Sundays, we practice this truth-telling in two important ways, and the first is equally important as the second. We confess our belief in God through the creeds, and we confess our, our, that we have failed to live into that belief in the time of confession. In other words, we tell the truth about who God is, and we tell the truth about who we are. And as the Israelites gathered together for this time of corporate truth-telling, they confessed who God is, a God of compassion, grace, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. And they confessed who they were, a stiff-necked people. And they did this by recounting their history. So what's the story that they heard and recounted that day? 
God called Israel to be a people, set free from slavery, entered into a covenant of love with them, a covenant whereby they would agree to follow the way of life that God set out for them. And in return, he would make them his people and bless them. Well, it's a pretty good deal, and so the Israelites gladly agreed. The only problem was that before the ink was even dry, or in this case, before the stone shavings from the stone tablets had blown away in the wind, the Israelites had already broken the covenant. Nehemiah 9 verse 17 puts it strikingly. They became stiff-necked, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. The phrase stiff-necked is a fun one. We don't use it much these days, but when we do, we associate it with stubbornness. Well, that's true, but it's not the whole truth. The phrase stiff-necked is actually an idiom from the Hebrew, based on a farm animal stiffening its neck in the yoke, refusing to go where it's supposed to, becoming rigid in wanting to go its own way. Well, the yoke for Israelites is a reference to God's covenant. And so becoming stiff-necked meant refusing to live in accordance with God's covenant of love. Have you ever had the experience of being around a little child who doesn't want to do something or go somewhere, and so they stiffen their entire body in protest, making it so much harder to pick them up or move them, make them walk where, they want to, where you want them to go? That's exactly what's going on here. The word has a sense of to make hard or difficult or heavy. And the Israelites' stiff-neckedness, their stubbornness, does result in life becoming hard and heavy and difficult. And so, in their misery, they call out to God. And God, in his covenantal love, full of compassion and mercy and forgiveness, rescues them, and all is made well. But then it happens again. The Israelites forget God's mercy, and they stiffen their necks, and they fall back into sin, and life becomes difficult. In their misery, they call out to God, and God, in his covenantal love, full of compassion and mercy and forgiveness, rescues them, and all is well except that it happens again and again and again and again. And as we catch up to the Israelites standing in this courtyard in Jerusalem, still paying tribute to the king of Persia and living as a subjected people, they are once again on the upswing of this cycle that has repeated over and over and over, time after time, as verse 28 says. And we feel the weight of this text and the weight of the Israelites' confession as they acknowledge that just like their ancestors were stiff-necked, so they too are stiff-necked. Just like their ancestors broke the covenant over and over, so have they in a circle that seems without end. Can you relate to this? Is there any sin Any pattern of behavior in your own life that you just can't seem to kick, no matter how hard you try? 
Or maybe it's a generational thing in which you find yourself repeating the mistakes of your parents. Or maybe you're watching in dismay as your children begin repeating your mistakes, your own sins, and you see the cycle begin all over again. Or you hear of racism or experience it yourself, systematic oppression, and you realize that you have been a part of a much bigger picture of sin. And perhaps you find yourself in the same place as the Israelites did that day, willing to see the truth that you are caught up in your sin and you can't seem to free yourself no matter how many good intentions or resolutions you make. Beloved, there is good news for you today. Because even that awareness of your need for help, even that awareness of the weight of your guilt is pointing to a grace already at work in you. Because the God of covenantal love, the God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and abounding in love that the Israelites confessed that day, he wasn't content to leave them in this cycle of sin and pain and sorrow. And so he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, the only human in all of the history of all of humankind who has never once stiffened his neck in rebellion against God. And Jesus, the only one to fulfill that covenant of love perfectly, took the cost of breaking it upon himself and paid for it on the cross. And in return, he gives us a new covenant, a covenant in which he has done all the work in reconciling us to God, and we need only accept it and to take his yoke on us, a yoke that is easy and a burden that is so light. And as we do, as we take this yoke and learn from Jesus, we will slowly become like him, like the God of Israel, full of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. One of the things that Jesus teaches us as we learn to bear his yoke is how to recognize when we start stiffening our neck and acting contrary to his love. But when we do, when we notice this, when he calls our attention to it, we do not need to despair because it's his grace that has showed it to us. And it's his grace that is waiting to forgive us. Grace drives this sequence from first to last. Jesus' followers learned this well from their teacher. His friend John writes, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as brother James urges us, therefore, to confess our sins one to another and pray for each other so that we may be healed. So what does this look like in our lives today on June 6th as we slowly emerge from this pandemic? Well, I encourage you to take some time today to bring that very question to God. Ask him to bring to light any areas where you may be trapped in a cycle of despair, anger, unforgiveness, or sin. 
Ask him to help you face those areas in the light of his grace, where there is no fear of judgment, only forgiveness. And then offer them to Jesus. We can't do this on our own, but we don't have to. The big book, the basic text for Alcoholics Anonymous, begins with a story from Bill, one of the founders of AA, and with this I'll close. Bill is telling how he and his friend were set free from the cycle of alcoholism and despair. My friend sat before me, and he made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like myself, he had admitted complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead, suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life far better than the best he had ever known. Had this power originated in him? Obviously, it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that moment, and that was none at all. I saw that my friend was much more than inwardly reorganized. He was on a different footing. His roots had grasped a new soil. There, I humbly offered myself to God to do with me as he would. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself, I was nothing, that without him, I was lost. I ruthlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my newfound friend take them away, root and branch. I have not had a drink since. This is the gift and the grace of God. Grace allowing us to feel the weight of our burdens, of our sin. Grace teaching us to offer that weight to Jesus and be set free. And grace giving us his yoke in return, a yoke that is easy and a burden that is so light. This is amazing grace. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God of amazing grace, God of compassion and mercy, God of love and forgiveness, open our hearts to you today. Let us recognize your grace in our lives, shining into the places that need your healing, freeing us from the cycles that we have been trapped in. Give us the courage to offer those areas to you and to receive your freedom in return so that we might live as a people of compassion, full of grace and mercy, abounding in love and forgiveness. This we ask in the name of your precious Son who took his burdens on himself, our burdens on himself, that we might be set free. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.